Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On October 23rd, 2021, the Managing Madrid podcast made history. It was our first ever podcast in Toronto our first ever podcast live in person on Canadian soil. And lo and behold, we're coming back on December 18th, hours after the World Cup final, the Managing Major Podcast is recording a show live at the Flatiron Firkin Pub. Tickets are almost sold out. So if you're planning on attending, you better get in quick. The link is in the show notes. We are giving away signed stuff from Luis Figo, Luca Modric. There's gonna be official La Liga swag that we're giving away. And hopefully, hopefully, there will be at least one Madridista in the World Cup final. And uh, we'll gladly break it down. But really, we're going to talk about Real Madrid season. We'll talk about the World Cup, of course. We'll talk about the upcoming remainder, second half of the season. And it's going to be extremely interactive, a lot of fun. And if you just want to hang out with Madridistas, meet them, this is the place to be. So come out. And we really look forward to seeing you on December 18th. Again, link is in the show notes. Go do that now. Do it before you even listen to the podcast. Press pause. Go do it. It's priority because tickets are almost sold out. So go do that. And coming up, we've got a two-parter. Part one, Jose Perez and myself, Kian Silvani. We break down Luka Modric moving on and his performance against Japan. And then part two is me just rambling incoherently about how good Brazil are. That was recorded, obviously, after Brazil disposed of South Korea. So stick around for part one and two. And coming up is part one. And let's get started with Derek Ray and Ray Hudson. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hi. 
Hello and welcome to a Monday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sabani, and I'm joined by Jose Perez, not to talk about France for the first time in this World Cup. We're talking about Croatia versus Japan, and specifically Luka Modric, who plays 99 minutes, which is a lot of minutes, but I suppose not as much as the nominal 120 minutes from four years ago. But regardless, there's a lot of minutes for a player who is not... A teenager anymore but still continues to be awesome so jose how'd you enjoy that one first penalty shootout of the tournament croatia advance yeah uh hello kian hello everyone so uh so for me like the weirdest thing for me was that whole it's like wait he's not gonna play the whole extra time which is completely reasonable like ex- having the expectation that luka modric is gonna play three extra times in 10 days like he did four years ago it's not a reasonable expectation and and even i was like half joking like thinking well he's saving it up saving him up for the next extra time and that might be the case so uh but all in all like i think it was a game that i liked a lot during the first half it felt for at least for me after Perisic's goal it fell off a bit afterwards but i there were still so there were still some moments and some players that i enjoyed so Yep. Well, I think the mortgage aspect of it too is like, yeah, of course, he's four years older than he was in the last World Cup. Even if he's great, his legs can only last so long. From a tactical level, it absolutely makes sense to substitute him off. And yet, there's part of me that's like, yeah, but don't you want he could like that one second of magic in minute 119 that he is capable of? Uh, but yeah, perfectly reasonable. So I got to say, Jose, though, after watching that first half, I was skeptical of mm-hmm. Croatia pulling this off, not because the game was out of reach, but because I was really impressed with Japan. I think Croatia's second half response was fantastic. As I was reminded by 3 million people on Twitter, no lead, no one no lead is safe against Croatia and Ivan Perisic. Yep. So that also came into play against the Japanese. But I also thought they kind of, De- decelerated a little bit in the second half, which on some level is is understandable. So how did you see that first half play? Let's start there. Yeah. So going with the first half, I think uh, one thing that I noticed that like Japan has been, at least in the group stage games, had been a lot of like kind of lower energy during first halves. Then they bring in, uh, then they bring in all the cavalry for, for the second half, which Mitoma being one, but then there's other uh, footballers like Ritsu Doan, who this, like a lot of the times he was starting, like he was being subbed in second halves, this time around he started. So uh, the, the feeling I got when I saw that lineup was that maybe Japan was trying to be a bit more aggressive than usual during first halves. And I think that was genuinely the case. Uh, I think the first, like the, the tale that I have in my head for the first half is that, okay, Croatia starts kind of well. They're making like they're they're playing, combining everything. Then Japan starts like pushing up a bit, pressing, and then they see, oh wait, we can actually disconnect these guys pretty easily. And then once they notice that, then like after like 10-15 minutes, then they just keep pushing forward and keep and then and you can even see that the wing backs are starting to go forward also more aggressively and yeah, like after the 15, 20th minute, Japan took over took over the game because they went into this cycle of like, okay, we find like uh, 
they get the ball out from the back, get it to then get it to the wing backs. The wing backs cross into the box. Even if Croatia clears the danger, the Japanese are fast and they get the second balls easily and then recirculate and we go through the cycle again and again. And Croatia and like after the 15, 20th minute, Croatia struggled a lot to connect and to get out and to even get out of their own half. So it it ended up being a pretty dominant first half performance from Japan. And it and I was concerned also for the second half because I thought, okay, uh Croatia will likely have to open up a bit when chasing the game. And that's even more opportunity for like a Japanese counter. It didn't end up being the case for the second half, I guess, because they kind of ran out of legs to keep doing what they were doing. Yeah, which is interesting because I would have I kind of assumed similar to you in that I would have thought. You know, Japan up 1-0. And at that point, look, as the half wears on, they're growing more and more into the game and playing even better. And their goal comes in the 43rd minute. And at that point, it's fully deserved. You know, like yeah. they're they're Croatia's Croatia are on the ropes, they're getting outplayed in a lot of facets of the game. So you would think nature of Croatia's age, Japan's history in this. World Cup <laughs> history, the, the sample size in this World Cup of having really good second halves plus the subs coming on, you would have thought that this would have been even more difficult for Croatia as it opens up. But <clears throat> turns out, uh, I guess, World Cup experience and talent does matter. And, and Croatia had both yep. of those things. So uh, I thought it's also interesting, too, that what I what I was fascinated about Japan was that they're they're so organized structurally defensively yes they go into that mid block they go with five at the back they they really make sure they cut off passing lanes in their own final third and they're fun in transition like they get the ball they fly and also if it's a slower build up phase they're really patient they're composed they don't panic they they have really good movement between the lines they have outlets available all over the field it was a really composed performance and i guess i was just surprised that they weren't able to really build on that in the second half. But uh, what about Luka Modric in this game, Jose? We can we got to focus on him as well. What did you think of his, of, uh, of his performance? I feel that like it started out nicely, like the rest of Croatia. And you started seeing those moments where like the first 20 minutes was me just wondering, okay, he's he's <laughs> really doing this at 37 where he goes, gets the ball from the center backs, sends it up long, and then like seven seven seconds later he appears doing a run in behind the defenders like what the hell yeah uh understandably that he couldn't keep up keep that up for 90 minutes but at the same time i think the biggest factor more than his stamina is just that japan found over time like ways to disconnect whatever uh croatia were doing in possession i would say that uh the main limitation of croatia right now is a bit like the connection between, and honestly, it's been the case since like the last World Cup, where the connection between midfield and forward lines is always a problem. They've never quite found a way how to like continuously link up with each other well. Uh, yeah, like, like the only times I actually like how, what, what, like that connection was actually in the game against Canada, mostly because Kramaric had like a really good game moving everywhere. But Croatia rarely has, Croatian forwards rarely have those kinds of games. So there's always that disconnection and Japan took advantage of that. Like 
they, for example, they keep the block really compact. And so like they keep midfield and defensive line so compact that receptions in between the lines are basically impossible. So that was out of like, so that was out of the question for Croatia. They just couldn't combine with each other in those tight spaces. Japan didn't concede any possibility for that. Uh, and then the other options were uh, sending it out long either to the wings or in behind the defense. And Croatia tried doing that from time to time, but also the forwards were not were not having their best day. I think, for example, they were... So this time around, they started Petkovic, and I think the strategy was try to send a bit more long balls to him, and he was just not winning duels at all, nor controlling the ball well, nor giving good passes. And it was kind of disastrous, and it didn't work. So... I think I think in this particular game, other than like those Perisic brilliant moments, I think Croatian forwards gave their team very little in terms of like helping their team control the game. I I think that's an interesting point too. Like and Petkovic in this game, he did try to drop deep a little bit. He had a couple good challenges. His hold up play was okay, um, but then there were other moments. Clearly, like I think it was him on the breakaway um, on in the twenty sixth minute where he can either cut it back um, to, I think it was Kramerich or cut it across the face of goal. And then he decides to just fumble the ball in his feet and do yeah. neither shoot nor cut it back. There are other moments like that. Yeah. I mean, if this team had like a, a 10, I mean, in theory, I suppose Luka Modric can be that version if he's younger and not having to do all these other things, but or like the Tottenham version of, of Modric, for example, like that could link up the play a little. But if they seem have like a Benzema or a Neymar or an Mbappe type figure, it would it would obviously help them a lot. It would help any team, obviously. But I, I do think they're missing that player profile. So I, th- I think that's an interesting yeah. point you make. Um, I like it's interesting because. Every single Croatia game seems to be a little bit different, just in the sense that who who decides yeah. to step up and who doesn't, and who's on the field. And I think this was Brozovic's best game of the tournament. I thought he was yeah. really good today, and I you know, against Canada, you know, it was Kovacic who was amazing, and Kovacic had a quieter game today, but Brozovic was everywhere. And yeah. you kind of look at the way that midfield functions; it is quite fluid. Like as you mentioned. Moric doing multiple things. Sometimes he's in the left half space. Sometimes he's in the right half space. Um, playing these through balls, doing some defensive work in Croatia's half. Sometimes the deepest player in the team's build up. Um, but Brozovic also pretty fluid, and he's kind of moving around and and trying to link up the play and and going where he needs to go. I I thought this was a great Brozovic game, and I do think there are moments you can nitpick like. Brozovic's fluidity and Modric's fluidity sometimes does leave them exposed defensively if they lose the ball. I think that happened a couple yeah. times in the first half, but it's a it's a really good it's it's a pretty good midfield three. I mean, in terms of a midfield trio in this World Cup, it's it's pretty it's pretty solid. So they have that, but you're right. I do think they're missing something to link up the midfield and attack. But I, I just wanted to point out this was a really good Brozovic game. Yeah, I I I agree with that then, and I agree also with the Kovacic bit in the set. Like especially the first half, I didn't like. He it looked a bit better during the set. Like he looked better during the second half uh, onwards, but the first half in particular, I didn't like. I what's interesting. I I generally think that the main things that 
Croatia struggles with. Like they have a lot of good footballers to give that first pass in the build up. Like Brozovic, Modric when he drops deep, uh, Gvardiol from the from center back is amazing at spraying those passes. So Croatia has that first pass in the build up sorted out. The problem is the next phase of the build up. That part where after these guys give the first pass, then who receives it and gets it in good condition to the rest of the forwards? That's what Croatia is struggling, like has been struggling to have, not just now, but also four years ago. That, that connection point to the forward is what, what had been failing. Japan's defensive block took advantage of that. And uh, yeah, that's why Croatia, like it was either crosses into the box from Croatia or whatever brilliant thing Berisic decided decided to do. But all in all, the second half looked better. It's, again, it's a very, like this, Croatia can be a bit hard to a- actually analyze because there's a lot of intangibles and emotions at play. You just know that these guys, however they play, even if they play poorly, they are extremely competitive and extremely hard, extremely hard to beat and extremely good at overcoming, like, these kinds of obstacles, at least on, I like at least on, like even if they don't necessarily play well to overcome them emotionally, they are really good at doing that. So, yeah, they handled it well. Then af- and then after the and then after the goal, especially after the goal, like it really just looked like apart from the substitutes, Japan had kind of run out of fuel. Like apart from guys like Mitoma who was still doing like some really nice runs, uh, and, and Asano, like they. Yeah, the rest of the team had definitely lost a bit of a bit of steam. First half of extra time, they regained it a bit and they tried to take uh, they tried to take a bit more initiative, but it didn't last for too long. Yeah, they looked gas. As as and as much as like I don't think Croatia is the most entertaining team to watch, there's definitely an element of you can never count them out if they keep it close and it's the yeah. World Cup. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta respect that they can find a way to come out on top. Um, let's talk about Guardiola. You mentioned him briefly there. I just know that Real Madrid fans will want us to talk about him because ever since he had that quote a few days ago about wanting to play for Real Madrid one day or liking Real Madrid, I don't know what the quote was exactly. I don't remember. But everyone's like, "Oh, can we sign Guardiola?" Um, really impressive. I really like this guy, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on him more. He had nine clearances tonight. Very press resistant. Distribution was great. That Petkovic chance we were talking about earlier in the 26th minute, it was his incredible pass down the middle, perfectly weighted to break Japan's defensive line. Talk to me about Guardiola. What do you like about him? A bit of everything, really. Like, I... uh, He's, like, I think what stands out about him is just, like, it's hard... Uh, like it's reaching like that kind of unicorn center back status of like a guy who looks like solid clearing out things from the box, solid at like moving forward and anticipating defenders when he's outside of the box. So you can see that, okay, if they defend deep, he can clear stuff out of the box. If your team presses high, he can go be aggressive, anticipate uh, attackers. Uh, and then, of course, you have the whole aspect of what he does on the ball, which is also super complete because he can be a threat from ball carrying. Like he can fend off like p- uh, players who are pressing him and just carry the ball forward where it needs to be. So it's a threat there. Uh, or he can also be a threat like sending in like those long passes. So it's just 
overall very, very complete defender. And he's just like, what, 20? Something ridiculous. 21, like I that. think it so, was. Yeah, something like that. So it is, I mean, what? Let's 20. See. Sorry, uh, 20. Right yeah, now it's, right. it's 20. Yes. Yeah. So it's born in 2002. So it is quite amazing to see a player of that age be already that complete. Uh, of a center back, of course, at this point, the only argument I would have against him coming to Real Madrid is the fact that we already have like two really good left sided center backs in Alaba and Rudiger. So, right now, there's really no need. It's not an urgent signing for sure. Um, yeah, but it, he's young enough that you know, Rudiger is not that young, Alaba's not that young, but it, it could be one for the future. Um, what, let's use this remaining few minutes that we have, uh, just an opportunity if you want to talk about other things from this game. Anything that impressed you or didn't impress you about either of these teams? I mean, we didn't talk about the penalty shoot- shootout yet, I suppose. Anything that caught your eye? Yeah. I mean, the penalty shootout, it was... I, I, I Let's say that going into the penalty shootout, I did not have too many hopes for Japan. I mean, it's... These kinds of like striking the ball under pressure situations that Japan has traditionally struggled with. Like I've seen many situations of Japan playing well and then just not being able to get that goal. That has kind of been their story for a while. And so what happened during the penalty shootout was not particularly surprising. So uh, and then Croatia, who are like, they just have so much experience in doing in going through these things. So, like the different, like just the difference in composure between how both sets of players took the penalties. Ah, yeah, it was kind. Of, it was kind of painful and kind of not surprising, knowing Croatia's experience and knowing Japanese struggles. So, yeah, yeah. And, and that's where like. I had the same feeling. I mean, it's impossible to predict these things because I had the same hunch and same feeling as you did. But at the same time, you never know. Maybe you don't, you don't want to say too much because Japan could also prove you wrong. They could come in and have an amazing penalty shootout. Yeah. But for that reason alone, I thought Japan should really try to go for this in extra time <laughs> and avoid that penalty shootout because it, it was hard to see. And Lavakovic, a uh, hell of a... Hell of a penalty shot. I mean, hell of a game, actually. I think it had a really good game. Um, both keepers did, to be quite honest. And, you know, the Japan goalkeeper, Ogonda, had some incredible saves, including one on Luka Modric, who, who had a great shot from outside the box. Yeah. I don't I don't have too much to add. I, I would just add a couple of random notes in that. Um, I think if there's some one Japanese player who I was kind of disappointed with was... Um, their right center back, uh, Tomiyasu. Tomiyasu. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just had a really like, he had that weird player. stretch in, the, I think, around the eighth minute where he has that weird throw yeah. and it goes out of bounds. And seconds later, he gives it away to Perisic. Um, kills a couple Japan attacks. Had that one in the 80th yeah, yeah. minute where he's like, he, it's a perfect shooting position. He cuts it back without looking, not realizing no one was there. I did like, I, I don't, you know, it's not. I don't know. I don't know much about him as a player to say if he's a good player or a bad player. I mean, he's obviously a good player. He's in the World Cup for Japan, but just in this game, I, I thought he was a little bit disappointing. And um, yeah. and also, I was just really impressed with just Japan's entire attacking line. Really good. Um, yeah, it's really nice. And I think you mentioned before, like 
Uh, one of the things that's really nice about them is that they know, because they are fundamentally a team with like many fast players that can really kill you like when you attack like very directly and very vertically but they're a team that knows really well like when to pass it calmly and then when to speed up speed up play to take advantage of the pace of their players so that is really nice a lot of that has to do with like that double pivot of like morita and endo like endo in particular is a player i love watching uh and uh, yeah, their distribution today was quite was quite sharp. It's they struggle like you could see they were making a couple mistakes already in the second half, which was another indication that this whole team was really a bit gassed by that point. But all in all, it's really nice to watch them play. It's really what nice to see how those two guys decide like uh, break lines with their passing and try to keep things going. So. Uh, I, I think like for me, like the guys that I usually enjoy watching more uh, that I enjoy watching today from Japan, Ritsu Doan was, play, was playing well, especially in the first half. Endo, always a fundamental player for Japan in that build-up phase. And of course, Mitoma in the second half. Like I like that that guy just somehow has that thing where he just, well, apart from running very quickly, then he just puts in like a very pinpoint round pass that somehow that just would have been... Would have been dangerous if Japan had like it. They Japan was struggling to get to the end of those, but uh, yeah. all in all, uh, a bunch of really enjoyable players in this Japan side, but not that different from previous Japan sides in that that final that that decision making in the final third, in the final pass, in the final shooting mm, still needs to improve a bit. Yeah, uh, just the wingers. The, the balls from the wings, the set pieces, the crosses were all quite good. I I think if they were able to get Ito one-on-one with Barisic a little bit more, that seemed to be something that was working for them. Yeah. But I uh, didn't get that much um, in the second half. So, yeah, uh, I think yeah. we, we dissected this one uh, as much as we can yep. with the time we have. And in about 25, 30 minutes, we have Brazil playing. So... We're going to cover that, I think, at part two. So stick around for that. We haven't watched that game yet, but part two of this podcast will be that. So stick around. It's coming right up. Jose, thanks so much. Appreciate your time. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks, Kian, and thanks, everyone, for listening. See you around. All right. Part two. Just wow. Brazil, South Korea. I mean, it's a performance that really needs to be... I mean, you deserve someone way more fun and less nerdy than me to actually do that justice because this it, it doesn't require a tactical breakdown it doesn't require to go into numbers that was art that was football at its artistic peak that was beautiful there's no real like analytics or nerdy soccer talk or jargon that can actually put what we saw in that first half into words and, and that's really all I really want to say. I, I can't even add anything to it other than what you guys saw, what you guys witnessed, what other pundits have no doubtedly un- uncovered. I said it on Twitter, and it's a little bit lame and cliche, and I apologize, but I truly believe it. This is what football was meant to look like. It, it's just, it's supposed to be this fun. It's supposed to be this artistic. It's supposed to be this breathtaking. The passes, I mean, when that, I think it was the third goal that goes in, the Thiago Silva assist. 
What is Thiago Silva even doing there? I mean, I, th I, I would have thought that that was Casemiro at first glance. The replay showed that it was Thiago Silva. I have no idea what he was doing there, and quite frankly, I don't care. The way he weighted that pass was incredible. The way that Vinicius and Neymar link up with each other, this is something you guys have probably no doubt gotten sick of me speaking about. Those The chemistry those guys have together, it just makes this Brazil team tick that much better. Better. The way that Richarlison, Rafinha, Rafinha has been fantastic. And not only that, I mean, and I'm not going to, I don't want to get into the second half because quite frankly, I don't think the second half really means anything. Um, kudos to South Korea for making this slightly more respectable in the second half. I know Brazil for sure, you know, took their foot off the pedal a bit. doesn't matter. What hasn't really been spoken about this Brazil team because the attack has been so dominant and has looked so good and has overwhelmed so many teams is that their defense is actually really good. I mean, the fact that they can, first of all, if you can even bypass their press, they got Casemiro in there who's having an absolute baller of a tournament. He's been incredible throughout this whole campaign. Undoubtedly would be in my starting 11 if I had to put together in 11 of the best players in this World Cup so far. He would be the anchor. And then you could just go down the list of experienced veterans, strong, savvy defenders they have at the back. Billy Tao looks pretty good at right back there. Um, I thought he had a good game. Diagonal switches were pretty good. 1v1 defending on Kim on that side, on Hyun Sung Min on that side, really good. Thiago Silva and Marquinhos work really well. And then you have Allison pulling out great saves so look it is true and, and has to be noted that while this was an epic performance from brazil and they make this world cup so much more fun everything from the celebrations to the football it's just fun I, i'm glad they're here and a good brazil is really healthy for the game the real test obviously and this goes for any team not just brazil we'll start to ask questions okay how much will their defense be tested um against Argentina in the semifinals. How much can how will they be able to knock down the door on Croatia in the quarterfinals as well as they did? I'm not saying they won't, but I'm just saying, you know, Croatia is an organized team. Like we, we had an entire segment in part one, as you've undoubtedly heard. They will take some of those same principles to the Brazil game for sure. Um, and But that, that kind of goes without saying for any team. A lot of these big teams haven't been tested yet. The tests will start now. Brazil's test will come now, and and so forth. Same with Argentina, same with Spain. All these questions we have about their defense, with which Germany exploited for large stretches, which Japan obviously exploited. These will be magnified even more against Morocco, and beyond that, probably Portugal. The question of Portugal's defense to be tested against bigger teams is there. Um, France versus England, two teams that haven't really faced big tests until they'll face each other. So these questions will exist for everybody. So I don't want to just pinpoint on Brazil only, but man, do Brazil ever look good? And that's pretty much all I can really add. I don't, I'm not going to, again, bore you with all my tactical notes or whatever. I thought it was just a fantastic performance. I've been impressed with them. And yeah, there you go. That's it. Five minutes. Five minutes to just swoon over Brazil. Fantastic performance. I didn't want to leave you guys hanging. I did prom promise you guys in part one, just to hold myself accountable, really, that there would be some notes on Brazil. And I watched it. I was thoroughly impressed. That was football. That's how football is supposed to be played.
when it was invented, I am convinced and I'm a firm believer that it's meant to be beyond statistics, sometimes even beyond results. I mean, I, I'm as results-based as any, process-based as any, looking at the tactical um, nuances and wrinkles of the game, not getting too mad if a team wins defensively. I, I've never been, you know, I've never really condoned good uh, like a offensive or defensive football that much one more than the other i i have also firmly believe whatever works works i i don't criticize teams that much you know for playing a certain brand of football but man when i when i see it like this and the dancing and everything i, I truly do believe that this is why football was invented to bring this kind of joy to people um and brazil did it and they have been doing it for a long time now so congrats brazil so far so good and uh that's it from me. We're going to sign off here. What's tomorrow? Let me check, bring a pull, pull up schedule really quick on the spot. I just have been used to just waking up every day. All right, there you go. Morocco, Spain tomorrow. I think Diego and I are doing a Spain post game show over on Churros y Tacticas. And I think Sam Leverage, who is covering Spain on the website, I'm sure he and I will talk about Asensio and Carvajal on the podcast as well over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Portugal, Switzerland. Uh, we won't really analyze that much until maybe friday uh we'll probably discuss it but friday is just a banger because it's croatia brazil <laughs> uh netherlands argentina also on friday Ooh, it's getting spicy it's gonna be awesome all right thanks guys thanks for listening catch us over on patreon.com slash managing madrid peace Thanks for listening, guys. And before we let you go, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid and specifically to our $10 plus patrons who do so much to support the show. And if you pledge $10 or more, not only do you get access to every single bonus episode we do and get guaranteed responses to your questions, you also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons as follows. Brandon Alvarez. Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Way Pairing, Tobias Arroyo Botcher, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Sumanchu Singh, Sheikh Atiri, Shamil Shabaz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Samar Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, uh, Oscar Barrera, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lex, Patrick Odiafati, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Magnus Lex, Logan Stahl, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Telekar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Khan P, Christian Toff, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Arnab Mukherjee, Armand Gashi, Armando L, Antons Rudenko, Anirud Singh, Ananya Kumar, Al, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. You guys are freaking incredible. Thank you so much for being part of this family. Thank you for the support. We love having you guys here and look forward to continually growing this podcast with you guys. Appreciate it. Take care and hala marit.